From coast to coast to coast, you're listening to Terra Informa. You're listening, you're listening. You're listening. to Terra Informa. This week, we're talking about climate change and the emotions the climate crisis can bring about with a particular emphasis on climate grief. We do talk through some heavy emotions and trauma associated with climate change, as well as associated with racism, grief, and mental health. So to this end, please take space and take care of yourself where you need it while listening. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge that this episode was created in Treaty 6 territory in a Miskwitziwiskaigen, Beaver Hills House, or so-called Edmonton. Specifically, we are broadcasting from unrecognized Papas Chase Cree territory. The Papas Chase Cree were displaced following consistent efforts from local officials like Frank Oliver to discredit the legitimacy of their treaty rights to this territory and to reserve number 136, now South Edmonton. Wherever you're listening from, we ask you to consider whose version of history informs your understanding of the land you are on. Climate emotions, such as climate grief and anxiety, are tied to experiences of change in our environment. The risks and harms associated with climate change are more likely to be experienced more severely and more frequently by Black, Indigenous, and people of color. We encourage listeners to consider the ways in which our identities impact our experiences of climate change. Today's episode is the second part of a two-part series on climate emotion. My name is Lizzie Barron, and I'll be your host for today. Last week's episode featured a really enlightening conversation between Tara and former Sarah Chitsaz and Dr. Deborah Davidson. I totally encourage you to check it out, and for podcast listeners, the episode is linked in the show notes. Today, we'll hear from a conversation I had with Gabrielle Gelderman in August to hear about her experiences as an organizer, chaplain, and climate grief coach. My name is Gabrielle. I use she, her pronouns. I live here on the Miskwichiwaskagan Treaty 6 territory. I'm a third generation settler on this land here. I am a chaplain. I'm a hospital chaplain three days a week or four days a week. And then I also do social movement chaplaincy. So working with um, people in social movements, providing kind of emotional and spiritual care for, for them. Yeah. We were wondering, how would you define climate grief? I have my official thesis definition, if I can remember it. Um, I think, so grief is is a human, or not necessarily human, but a, a, a response to loss, an emotional response to loss. Um, and so I think of climate grief as the human response uh, to the loss, losses associated with the climate crisis and, and the, the systems of oppression that underlie the climate crisis. So I kind of think of political grief and climate grief as really intertwined. Political grief might be more, less focused on climate issues and more more on systems of oppression, grief around racism and, um, for example, or economic injustice, those kinds of things. Um, but yeah, I really see that as intertwined with climate grief. Um, on a more practical level or less abstract, I think like, 
there's a lot of losses associated with the climate crisis. We sometimes think of the obvious ones of like losing a house or losing your life or losing the coastline that you grew up on. And those are very real and important sources for like causes of climate grief, but there's also more abstract or um, ambiguous forms of loss. For example, the loss of a future that you had planned for yourself or the loss of the ability or desire to have children because of the climate crisis. Um, the loss of a belief system that um, political, like the political world is going to be okay. Like these are all big losses. We don't normally think of them as losses, but they are. Um, so yeah, I really think of climate grief in a pretty expansive sense. Um, but yeah, that's how I would kind of describe it off the bat. Is, is the future something people tend to focus on when they discuss this grief with you or is it the present? Is there a mix? How, how does that operate? Yeah, I think the future comes up a lot. That's where a lot of the fear is for sure. And sometimes it's hard because when it gets too focused on the future, it gets really theoretical. The future hasn't happened yet. So that can result in just a lot of like anxious ruminating or spinning out sometimes. And there's a time and a place for that. Like you need to express your anxieties about the future. But when I'm in spaces with people, it's much more powerful emotionally and therapeutically and spiritually to bring it into the present moment. And so that doesn't mean you have to focus on what's happening right now in the world, but more like what's happening right now for you. And so your fear about the future um, is, is rooted in like a deeper feeling of fear about insecurity and a fear of um, powerlessness often. So I usually try and bring it back to like, okay, but what's what's happening right now in your body um, as a as a way to like ground people? Because otherwise we're just like all spinning out on like how bad the world is and what could happen. And, and it's like, you're right, like it's it's terrifying, but like but there is something that's real and true right now, and it's our it's our bodies and it's our connection between us. It's the moment that's holding us right now. And to me, that's deeply spiritual to bring things back to the present moment. Um, so that's kind of, yeah, the, the focus I usually take and less so like, let's talk about all of the future possibilities and how bad they are. Absolutely. You know, you mentioned in your last question, like that you will speak to people and you'll, you'll bring an approach in a moment. So could you share a bit about the work that you do yourself relating to climate grief and emotion and, um, kind of what that process is for how you support people grappling with, with these, um, concerns? Yeah, so there's kind of two main ways that I'm supporting people right now, and it's in uh, drop-in climate grief circles. And they're on pause right now, but I'll start again in September, I think. <clears throat> they were happening every other Monday evening, and it, it was virtual uh, so far. I'd love to do some in-person, but um, yeah, just like a small group space for some guided reflection and meditation and inviting people to share a bit about their feelings and <clears throat> have a space. <clears throat> It's have, literally just have, it's very humbling because I'm like, oh, I'm actually not doing anything. It's, I'm just providing space. Like people in so many aspects of their life, they can't talk about these issues with people around them because it's so grim. It's so sad. And like other people are in a state of avoiding these issues and they don't want to talk about it. And so that can be so isolating and so lonely. And so I think having a group space where you can literally just be honest about how hard it's been for you and hear other people who are also struggling, it's very, um, yeah, it makes you feel less alone. It's, that's the feedback I get from people. Um, 
And then the other way I support people is one-on-one. So it's kind of like climate grief coaching slash spiritual direction. I think of it usually as spiritual direction, but other people don't always think of it as spiritual, which is very fair. And that looks different for every single person, but it's um, often, yeah, obviously more a deeper dive into their own personal experience. Usually I like to, um, again, like, you know, like make space for even the hardest emotions. Like sometimes people are like, oh, I can be like really doom and gloom for a little bit, but then I have to have, find a silver lining. Or then I have to say, oh, but actually it's all okay in the end. And it's like, no, you don't. It's okay. it's okay to just stay in the fact that it's really, really bad because it is really, really bad. And it's actually really important for us to let our bodies stay with those feelings instead of just shutting them down, which normally we're taught to do. So uh, sometimes it's just a matter of holding people in that pain and like affirming that it's okay. Um, but I also am pretty intentional about finding what, what's resourceful for them. Like what are the what are the things in your life that do feel good, that feel like a meaningful sense of connection? Like do you love art or music or being outside or being with your pet or conversations with your loved ones? And let's talk about like those deep connections and how those are actually going to sustain you through, you know, a really hard future that's coming. You mentioned you, you do both um, support groups, which is more collective experience and holding that space as well as one-on-one coaching. Do you um, find any differences in how you approach those spaces? And do you have any thoughts as to what would make one approach better for a particular group or a person? Hmm. Yeah, what a good question. I mean, it depends on how much you want to talk. If you want to talk a lot, one-on-one is better. (laughs) Um, Because you, the client, does most of the talking and I mostly listen. Um, If there's... If you're really wrestling with things on a deep level and you're like um they're really confusing to you or you want to go deep deeper into them if maybe you're going to therapy but your therapist just doesn't get it like doesn't get the climate side of things which is lots of them don't because they haven't done their own work in that area um then one-on-one could be a good option for you um and my approach in that one-on-one session is really just to meet people wherever they're at and like find yeah find a space together that feels right and with the group um yeah i think a group is really important for people who are looking for community and want to be in a space with other people who feel the same way like i <clears throat> go through my own bouts of climate anxiety but i i go through long periods where it's it's very stable and i'm you know kind of putting my own emotions to the side for a little bit so i can just like function we all do that right so often i'm not um someone who can like really um, be in the same space emotionally always as, as participants. But when you're in a group setting, there's gonna be other people who are just as distressed as you are in their own way. So if that's what people are looking for, then a group is kind of the right, maybe a, a, a good fit for that. Yeah. And one more thing that you made me think of like the power of a group is like, if you're not, sh- if, if you have trouble accessing your own emotions, which is like most of us, um, if you've really been struggling with numbness and, and you feel like you know that there's a lot of pain underneath it, but you can't get there and you want to, but you can't, then a group is, is a really good space for that as well. Because it can be hard for me one-on-one to help someone really dig into those emotions, depending on the person. But in a group, because you've witnessed other people being really vulnerable and expressing their pain, 
it has this beautiful collective effect, like you mentioned, of like bringing out your own emotion. Um, so that's like really beautiful to see. Yeah, that must be such an impactful, like just to, to be on the sidelines and getting to witness that must feel really, really heartening every, every time you get to see it. As somebody who's a faith leader, could you uh, speak to how spirituality plays into your understanding of climate grief and climate emotions and, and into your work as well? Yeah, I mean, it feels like the whole thing. It's very central. I, I think of spirituality just as an experience of being alive or an experience of meaningful connection to the world, an experience of belonging, like pretty much, yeah, I think of life as spiritual. Like spirituality is just a, a fully lived life. Other people use the word differently, so it's very like dependent on how you use it. But so that means that I see everything as spirituality, as as an opportunity for connection, an opportunity for intimacy, an opportunity to like really encounter the reality of yourself and others in the world. And it's so impossible. Like at least this was my own experience turning to spirituality in the face of climate grief. Was like there wasn't anything else that made sense to me. There wasn't anything else that like. Um, allowed me to actually face the reality of what was coming because logically, practically, even like, in my opinion, politically and strategically, there's just a lot of, um, it just looks really bad. Like it's, it doesn't look good. <laughs> like we're not, we're, there's beautiful things happening. Like this whole wave of, of unionizing has been so encouraging for me. Um, and there, there's powerful, powerful social movements happening. Um, so, I, and I don't want to discount any of that, but I'm, yeah, like just being realistic about the the level of of like climate impacts that have already happened and that are already locked in. It's like it's very hard to look ahead for me um, in a practical or in a in a political sense and and have a sense of hope. So for me, spirituality gives me a deeper sense of hope because it's it's not hope in political strategy. It's hope in humanity and hope in like the ability of humans to to heal and that healing can be really messy and it actually has to be messy and um but it happens and like that's also why christianity is so important to me because it's very um you know this this belief this theology like it gets a little warped sometimes but it the the idea of like the kingdom of god which is a very like christian term can be a very loaded term and we usually think of it as heaven as like you get to heaven and that's like your final destination i really think of the kingdom of god as like the, uh, an experience of, of beloved community here on earth. And it's an experience of like healing here on earth. And um, yeah, the way Jesus talks about healing and the way Jesus talks about, which salvation is another word for healing. Sal means to heal. Um, so I think of salvation in terms of healing. Um, anyways, I could go off theologically forever, but uh, just to say, yeah. So to me, like Christian theology, provides the language and the concepts that really resonate with me. And for other people, it's other language and other metaphors that work for them. Um, but yeah, I find, I found like a lot of hope or the only way I've found hope is through some of those metaphors actually, yeah. That was Gabrielle Gelderman speaking about climate emotion and all of life through a spiritual lens. Today we're talking about climate emotion, and you're listening to Terra Informa, a production of CJSR 88.5 FM. Let's hear more from Gabrielle now. That idea about spirituality being like your framework through which 
reality is what it is. That's that. Yeah, that was just so beautiful. Um, and I, ha have you seen um, a spiritual approach like work for other people? Has that been something that has come out of the support groups and the coaching? Is is other people turning towards um, thinking through everything in a more spiritual way? Yeah, I mean, I think people who are drawn to the circles or to the one-on-one -on -one support are already like drawn to spirituality. So right. it's kind of a selective bias, I guess. But um, for sure, there's a lot of people who are kind of just getting curious about it and are kind of like testing the waters and, or similar to me, they've tried other routes and it just hasn't been enough. And they, um, they're looking for something more and something deeper. Um, so yeah, I've, I've definitely seen that a lot. And in, in circles where I didn't expect it, like I, when I started this work or before I got into this work, I was like, I don't think people on the left, I don't think rad organizers on the left want religion. Like I'm pretty sure they're done with it. Like everyone's really skeptical of Christianity in particular for good reason. Um, so I was, I was a little hesitant to even like try and bring it in. And then the reception has been so positive and so many young people like really hungry for something um, meaningful and, and also a difficulty in finding out what spiritual practices are right for them because they're worried about cultural appropriation or they're, um, worried about looking strange or whatever, like, or there's the whole like new agey, like, uh, connotation of like, um, yeah, like maybe appropriated, some appropriated spirituality and all of that. So it's complicated work to find the spirituality that fits for you. But in my, especially in the one-on-one -on -one sessions with people, a lot of it is like, okay, what are you already doing that is helping you feel more connected to yourself and to others? Like, what are your practices already? Because you have practices, yeah. you just don't think of them maybe as spiritual practices, but like you go in for a walk every day and, and just being quiet outside is a, is a practice or you sitting with your dog or whatever it is. And like, how can you do those practices with, with more intentionality or a little bit more maybe slow, slow them down a little bit, whatever, whatever it is. Um, this is a question as well about how you mentioned that once you started spending more time outside, that was like a big, a, a helpful turning point. Um, is there a place in on Treaty 6 you'd recommend people checking out or, or any, anywhere in particular that you go outside or a type of ecosystem that just really, really tugs at you and, and really you can remember? Yeah. Oh, what a great question. No one's ever asked me that before. I love the River Valley. Yeah, I spend, I was lucky to like grow up close to it for most of my, or for part of my childhood. And uh, yeah, there's so many little, like little oases, like that are just tucked away. Um, I, I spent some really nice time up in Gold Bar Park. They, Gold Bar has some really nice mountain biking trails. And if you go up like Southeast, like the southeast corner of the park, there's like this uh, a little creek. I don't know where what ravine it's in. It's in some little ravine, <clears throat> but the creek there's like nobody there. It's it, and there's like great little wading. You can wade in the creek and it's like super quiet. Sometimes there's kids playing, but like it's it's it just feels really tucked away. And there's some interesting like land formations around there. Um, and then this old, very old like abandoned truck that's like from like the 20s it's all like spray painted and like got it out but like I, I don't know that was just kind of a magical spot that I kind of found and was delighted in and I love trail running I don't do it hardly anymore but I used to do it quite a bit and that felt so good it's like 
trail running, you're very engaged and focused on like where you're stepping. Totally. And so you're really just like, I kind of reached like that flow state a little bit more than I ever had before, where you're really just like engaged with the land that you're on and focused and part of it in a different way. And then otherwise I like Elk Island, Blackfoot, um, yeah, beautiful, beautiful places. All like the Beaver Hills is like gorgeous. Are there any messages you'd like to convey to our listeners about climate grief and, and emotions around, around the climate crisis? I think one thing I communicate or try and communicate to people, um, the work feels can feel really daunting to people, can feel like, I don't even want to touch that. Like, I don't even want to touch it with a 30 foot pole. Like, it's like people feel like it's this whole um, abyss, really. And like, it kind of is. So it's like their instincts are right. There's like a lot there. The thing is like climate grief just leads us to a place of grief about other things in our lives. Everything, like all of our grief is just connected in our like the deepest core wounds that we carry. The wounds of disconnection, the wounds of abandonment, the wounds of um, feeling powerless. Like those are all really core wounds that get established like from early childhood. So it makes a lot of sense to, to avoid the work. But there is a but. Um, doing the healing work is so liberating. It's so freeing and it's so rewarding and it's really hard, but it's so, it makes life so much richer and more full and more real. And sometimes this is what my teachers tell us. They're like, if you don't want to do the work, that's okay. You don't have to do it. You can keep living the way you're living and life is still good. Like if you're happy with the way life is right now, just like, that's okay. Life is about, is, is about like enjoying it and finding something meaningful out of it. Right. So if you're happy with the way it is, then that's fine. But they're like, there's people who are dissatisfied with the way things are. And if you're dissatisfied, then you need to be the one to change things. Like it comes down to you. And if you want to change things, you have to face the hard, the hard realities of your own like wounds and the wounds of the world. And um, to me, climate grief, I think of climate grief as an entry point into bigger forms of healing. Like there's so many entry points into healing for many people, or for some people it's like mental illness. Like I only, I only started going to therapy because I was so depressed I couldn't go to school. Like that's the only reason I started healing. It wasn't because I made the choice to. Other people, they, they lose someone in their life quite young and then they're like forced to really grapple with the idea of death and loss. Other people, it's addiction or or physical illness or chronic pain or whatever it is. Like whatever painful things happen in our lives, they're, they're entry points into deeper healing. And it's up to us whether or not we open the door kind of thing. Could you tell us about the work you've done supporting people in movement chaplaincy and um, in particularly people working in the climate movement? Yeah, so um, I, I was a co-founder of Climate Justice Edmonton and organized with Climate Justice Edmonton for several years and just saw the burnout in myself and in others and felt that there wasn't spaces to actually it was like I had organized with friends of mine and people I loved for years and we never actually had a chance to talk about how scared we were. Like we never actually cried together until we had this, there was an experience we had where we finally like broke through that and it was, it felt, it was so hard, but it felt so good. And so actually in that moment I was like, oh, we need more spaces like this. We need 
places for emotional honesty. And um, I love organizers. I, I passionately love them. I'm like, <laughs> I nerd out all the time. I think they have so much love for the world. And, and then they're also like messed up like the rest of us. They're like often like perfectionists and um, there's like a whole savior complex thing that comes into play. There's like, um, it's really hard for them to ask for help because they're used to being competent, used to being the one to be able to do things and get things done on their own. And so, yeah, I think climbing grief is really hard. Sometimes it's harder for organizers and people in social movements to face their climate grief than it is for other people. Not always. Um, the one benefit that people have who are in social movements is they have a built-in community and, a, and a, an experience of being part of something bigger because they're like, oh, we're not, we have our own little organizing community, but then we're also part of a movement. We're part of this social movement. And for some people, they're even part of a tradition of liberation around the world and across time and history. And that's my favorite, like expansive community to really help organizers feel a part of. Like the work I do with organizers has been a lot of talking about ancestors, about our political ancestors who've walked this path before us. Like I talked about my, my personal spiritual teachers. Similarly, in a social movement, we have teachers who've come before us and they like our hope and our work is, they're part of it. Like we're, it's not separate from them. And we don't have to like come up with all the answers ourselves. We don't have to come up with hope by ourselves. Like they, they are still there. I really deeply, like only recently in the last like couple of years have really been like, oh, ancestors are so real and so like active. And they're like, they're right here. Um, so I've really been tripping out on that a lot. But anyways, all that to say, and a big part of it is just like, helping them know that they're not alone and empowering them and giving them permission to like claim their place in a tradition of liberation. else you'd like to add or talk about or any anything you want listeners to check out that you're doing anything like that there's a circle um yeah i mean if people in one-on-one sessions i'm like a little bit packed for the summer but like in september would be for sure open to some new people um and the i explain this all on my website but um the first session is always free and you we, you can just like get to know my approach and i can get to know you a little bit and then you can decide if it's the right fit it can be spiritual direction and, and climate grief coaching is like a, a strange thing for a lot of people so it makes sense to want to test the waters a little bit um yeah follow me on instagram i guess the climate chaplain i make a lot of memes that's been like a very satisfying way to like, cathartic way to express my own feelings and engage with people and I love when people DM me on Instagram so please like if you ever want to chat I'm always excited to chat. Well oh, there is one more thing actually if I can uh, oh yeah it. go yeah. for it. It always takes a minute to remember but um this is about like whiteness and white supremacy it's like been a topic that I've really been wrestling with on a personal level and on a a bit more of a collective level on um, the last couple of years and that came up during my thesis actually but I always like want to communicate to white people that like there's so much freedom in addressing whiteness and white supremacy in yourself. And I think we, especially on the left, we tend to think of it like a chore or like a, 
you know, like we have to be a good ally and like, you know, figure out our own um, baggage and stuff. And that's true. Like it is work to do and it's hard to do. It's hard to like actually confront the reality of like, okay, how am I benefiting from white supremacy? How am I uh, enabling white supremacy? But the outcome of that is so much freedom. And um, yeah, just like highly recommend that people do that work in small doses. Like it doesn't have to be this big thing. Um, and to me, that's very spiritual work. It, it's all like interconnected to your own healing. So I have a resource list if you go on Instagram um, or on my website, there's a, a resource list on like whiteness and white supremacy for white people in particular. Terra Informa is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM and all of our content is created by a team of volunteers. Thank you to Gabrielle Gelderman for the interview. This episode was written and produced by me, Lizzie Barron. You can reach us for comments or questions via email, Tara at cjsr.com, or message us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, at Tara Informa. For previous episodes, check out our website, terrainforma.ca. Catch you next week, right here on Tara Informa.